So are the Vikings running it back like I've been saying they are? Should we maybe interrogate that? Let's talk about it here and the rest of your questions on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day, or maybe your first watch of the day. If you're watching on YouTube, usually you can at least get rabbits as well. The rabbits are taking a week off. They took a personal vacation uh, approved by HR. So today's episode is a mailbag episode. If you have questions for me, you can send them to me at LukeBrownNFL at LockedOnVikings on Twitter. You can also send an email to LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com if you want, or there's a Google form in the show notes you can fill out if you prefer that. Uh, Let's go to one from that Google form to start out, which comes from Cho, who asks, given that the Vikings shed 10 plus former one-time starters and added four to six presumed starters in free agency, they have 90% new coaching staff and changed offensive and defensive schemes. What exactly is the definition of running it back? Um, I think you make a good point here. Um, I've, I've kind of been saying, like, I think a lot of people and myself included have been saying like the Vikings, they seem like they're sort of taking that same core and saying, well, this is one nine ish games every year for the last four years, but this time it can win a Super Bowl if we just maybe tweak the right knob. Right. Um, and maybe that isn't quite as true, right? There are still some starters that have changed. We'll have probably a different right guard, maybe even a different center, bunch of different people on defense, but, and, and yeah, of course, a whole bunch of new coaches and essentially, I I guess let's just redefine what we mean by running it back, right? Because running it back could be the way that a team like the Rams are trying to run it back, right? Or the Bucks are trying to run it back, where they're just keeping as many people in house as they possibly can. And they say, we have a formula that is clearly a contender. Let's keep it as close to that as possible and try to run back something as similar as possible because it's obviously working. The Vikings, I think, they're not there, right? They're not at the part of like, okay, let's grab Bashad Breeland. Let's go get Nick Vigil back. That was clearly the Super Bowl thing. Let's get it as close. No, they're tweaking and, and running it back, right? And, you know, the, the competitive rebuild is the, th- is the phrase that quasi has been using, which is kind of funny. But essentially, the Vikings thesis for this offseason, if you understand, they think of it this way. Every offseason move they've made has made sense. Their thesis is Mike Zimmer and the coaching staff held back an otherwise contending roster and getting an offensive minded head coach with new ideas and a collaborative attitude. That's not going to tear apart the locker room. Like it did at the end of, of 2021, uh, getting a collaborative mindset and a forward thinking head coach that's on the offensive side of the ball is going to turn this from a nine and eight team into a contender. That is the thesis, right? That is the, the thing that they are selling us. Now, look, whether first time head coach, Kevin O'Connell, who has called plays once in his life is going to be that guy. <laughs> I've had my suspicions and I also have my skepticism about whether or not this really is a contending roster. And then you get into my Kirk Cousins opinions and stuff like that. But in terms of what they are running back, they're running back the quarterback. That's kind of the most important thing. 
That's the biggest one. But they're also running back the core pieces of the defense, the Harrison Smiths, the Eric Kendrickses, the the Daniil Hunters. And I think if you went player by player, you're not going to disagree. Nobody's going to be like, you know what? A team with Daniil Hunter and Ed Rusher actually is bad, and we should change that. Don't change things just to change them, right? Change them in a motivated sense. But Anthony Barr doesn't sound like he's coming back. He's going to be replaced by Jordan Hicks. You got Patrick Peterson, maybe Cameron Dantzler, probably a rookie corner that's going to like come in. The offense is more or less the same, though. I mean, you have a Dalvin Cook-led rushing attack. You've got at least three of five people on the offensive line are going to be the same. Same pass catchers, more or less. And again, like maybe we add a rookie or two, but it's pretty much the same core. And we're sort of fiddling with things around the fringes and changing the coaching staff. So it's tweak and run back, call it competitive rebuild, call it whatever you want. But that's kind of the, the, the run back, the running it back definition that I would use to describe the Vikings. Uh, next one comes from Viking Bell, who asks, if Gardner, Stingley, and Hamilton are off the board, how far down would the Vikings need to trade to pick up a 2023 first, and what players would you target? Uh, similarly, Jacob Strong asked, should the Vikings be asking for more from the Steelers and going off of recent trades, uh, and not these trade charts that to me don't seem that reliable? And Jacob had a whole other thing about how, like, these trade charts don't necessarily reflect the actual trades, and why do we care about them and stuff. So I'll answer that part first. The reason I use the Rich Hill chart is because it is based off of historical trades. Now, look, just because one team made a trade doesn't mean another team is going to make that same trade, but it gives you an average and kind of a sense for, I don't know, is a third and a fifth worth that second rounder? Like, I guess maybe, I don't know, like what's historical and how do teams do it? And I think the best way, like, I don't have a sense for that. So I need to kind of rely on that trade chart to, to give me a sense for what is a reasonable deal. Otherwise, it's just sort of numbers that float around in my head aimlessly. But you're totally right that it's just an average. It's not the law. And it's what I use in my mock drafts. And I think it's fine as a rule of thumb, but it's just a rule of thumb. Like to go to Viking Bell's question, if you wanted to trade from 12 to 20, let's say a quarterback's on the board, let's say Malik Willis falls to pick 12 and the Pittsburgh Steelers want to move up and they want to move up from 12 to 20. You can probably get more than what the trade chart says. The trade chart doesn't quite say that a, a 2023 first um, is that says that's probably a little rich. But with a quarterback on the board, you might be able to get away with it. Going from 20 to 10, you could get away with it. Um, and it cost the Bears a first round pick to do that when they did the Justin Fields trade. So you could get away with it if a quarterback's on the board, you can charge an extra tax. So understand that it's a baseline, but then if there are other factors kind of uh, increasing or decreasing the value, like who's on the board, right? If there are like six blue chip players on the board, you're going to have a harder time getting somebody to trade up because everybody's thinking the same thing you are, which is, well, I can probably move down five spots and still get a really good player. Well, the guy down five spots from you is going, I don't need to trade up. A good player is going to follow me no matter what. So it's going to be that much harder to get a deal done. And that means the price is going to go down. So all those factors totally go in as well. And every draft is its own unique beast. And you totally have to like think about it. You can't just defer it wholly to the trade charts. When I'm doing mock drafts, I use it as a rule of thumb. But you're totally right that like it's not supposed to be exact. But all teams use trade charts, like pretty much. And some of them even use like the exact Jimmy Johnson chart that he came up with in the 80s. So it's still a good tool for us. If we want to play pretend GM, it's a good tool for us to be using to kind of make that a faithful simulation. Uh, Skull All Day asks, thoughts on USFL action this weekend? Boy, howdy, do I have thoughts. Okay, here are my thoughts. 
A, it is the XFL, but with less juice. The XFL had all kinds of awesome pro wrestling Vince McMahon energy, and the USFL is a lot more buttoned up, and I don't think that's good for it, but it's football, and I'm a degenerate, so I'm going to watch it kind of no matter what it is. Um, so it doesn't matter to me, but if you're looking for like XFL level excitement, you probably just got to wait for the XFL to come around next year. Uh, if they can, if they can get back off the ground, uh, I got a lot more questions to get to, but first I want to talk to you about your gut health. Gut health is one of the new kind of trendy things in health to really be paying attention to because it can control a lot of other factors about your health that, about your health that you wouldn't even really know had anything to do with what's going on in your gut, like fatigue and stuff like that. Um, and AG1 by Athletic Greens is exactly the product that can get you on track in that regard. Um, it's like just one scoop in one cup of water every morning. That's it. Down that thing. And you'll start to feel so much better. It's like a big vitamin regimen. I mean, this is nothing. This is not secret science or anything like that. It's just a bunch of vitamins. And the founder of the company had some gut health issues and he had to take like a crap ton of multivitamins every day. It was like $100 a day. And that's why he invented AG1 by Athletic Greens to get a cheaper way to do that, to get all those vitamins and minerals that he needed without having to swallow 10,000 pills. So right now, reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. That is athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I also want to talk to you about Graham. Bet online has all the draft props out that you could possibly want. You can bet on who's going to be first overall. It was like really heavily favored to be Aiden Hutchinson for a while. Not so much anymore. Uh, You can bet on who's going to be the first O-line off the board or the first like corner off the board. All that stuff, all that good fun. Who's the first wide out off the board? That's a really big fun one to uh, to to debate about. You can also bet on basketball or hockey playoffs or uh, golf, tennis, MMA, even your favorite Vegas casino games are on there. So head on over to betonline.net. Get yourself a Grambling at BetOnline, where the game starts. Now, before we move on with the mailbag, let me tell you about all the cool stuff we got going on at the Locked On Network for the NFL Draft. If you go over to the Locked On NFL Draft podcast feed right now, the ultimate mock draft has begun. You can listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft. I think it's like the first three picks over there. By the way, you probably saw a preview for that come on this podcast feed. That was on purpose. That was uh, because we're plugging it because it's cool. So uh, go over to the, after you're done with this, go over to the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast and go check out the Ultimate Mock Draft, especially when it's my turn to pick. Because let me tell you, I'm getting spicy in this one. Also, the uh, Locked On NFL Draft YouTube page is going to be where we host the live show on Draft Weekend. So make sure that you're subscribed and you're uh, you're ready to to check that out. Now, let's move on with the mailbag. The next one comes from Purple Velour, who asks, which of these second-year defensive linemen, Jones, Robinson, Twyman, do you think has the best path to success this season? It has to be Patrick Jones because he has already gotten on the field which is more than we can say of Robinson and Twyman. Not their fault they got hurt or shot. Um, but obviously, that's not something to hold against them, but that is going to give Patrick Jones a leg up there. Um, he has his path to success. He might already be there. He's just a rotational end, and that just might be who he is. A little disappointing for a third rounder, but do that for your rookie contract, and there have been worse misses. Um, if there's like, If Patrick Jones can put together a pass rush 
kind of from scratch. But if he can put together a pass rush, he becomes a much more well-rounded end. And you could see like a Brian Robeson-esque trajectory where it's this kind of slow rise and suddenly he's a starter. Um, With Robinson, he looked very not ready. And I think if he weren't a fourth round pick, he probably wouldn't have made the team in 2021 based on his preseason. He probably was going to make the team just based off of draft pedigree, and then he got hurt and became a moot point. And then Jalen Twyman, who knows about him, right? We haven't seen him play in a Vikings uniform at all. Uh, But he is fully recovered, ready to go, and that super rocks. So I'm excited to see him, and he's definitely a dark horse for this. But I have no idea about him, and I have at least a little bit of an idea about Patrick Jones, so we'll go with him. William Lindahl asks, with Treader still dangling in free agency and rumors of taking Jamison at 12, Jamis, I've not seen those rumors, uh, how likely are the Vikings positioning themselves to trade back to take Linderbaum? I'm going to talk about Linderbaum a lot tomorrow. I'm probably going to write an article about him. So I'll table that, but I know that, like, I don't support it. I'm not a fan of Linderbaum. You've heard me talk about it. I think he's kind of just, you'd be spending a first round pick to get another Garrett Bradbury. And I don't think anybody wants that. Um, So I'm not huge on it. But if there are rumors that they're taking Jamison Williams at 12, that would be a pretty surprising thing. I I don't know how likely it is that they're positioning themselves to trade back to go for a guy. A trade back's totally in the cards, though. That's one of many options, absolutely, especially if the board doesn't fall very well for them. But if it doesn't fall well for them, it probably isn't falling well for everybody else, too. So it, you, there's a give and take. You have to, somebody's got to be super in love with somebody, but uh, you can find someone. Adam Taylor asks if Detroit trades 32 and their second for 12 or whatever to make it fair, how would you feel if the Vikings drafted Watson, Christian Watson, at 32 or the early second to learn behind JJ and Adam for a year or two? So I think I like that trade down well enough. Um, yeah, trade down, get the second and uh, and pick number 32. I think the Lions would have to put something else in there to make that work out on the charts off the top of my head. But yeah, like you said, like whatever makes it work. Um, I, I like the idea of moving down that hard because it's it's a little more committed, right? And <clears throat> of, of moving down that hard and, and really doubling up there. And then, yeah, because you have all of that extra stuff, I definitely like the idea of grabbing a wide receiver in that situation to learn behind Jefferson and and Adam Thielen. Not sure if I love if it's Christian Watson. I think he's fine. I have him in the, I would trade down from 46 to get him. I'd take him as a late second guy, not a late first guy or or an early second guy. So it'd be a bit of a reach for me. Um, But the idea of taking a wide receiver to learn behind uh, Jefferson and Thielen is pretty cool. And you could kind of get away with taking like a raw receiver with a lot of athletic upside, um, which I guess is kind of Christian Watson too. And you can get away with that. It'd be a little reachy for me, but I wouldn't hate it too much. I would like, I would take him at 46 in that situation and do something else with the two picks he traded down for. Chris asks, what's a change you would like to see with the draft, with the way the draft is covered? Um, that's an interesting question. So the, the first thing that popped into my head when I read this was I would like for the combine to, to not get as much attention. I think the NFL combine is essentially a database gathering thing. Um, The drills themselves need to be about the coaches and the players, and they're kind of becoming about the fanfare. And I don't like that. I don't think that's good for the sport in terms of the draft itself. Like I assume you're talking about like the draft broadcast itself. Um, Give me the get the sob stories out of here. It just feels like they're like monetizing someone's pain. And I hate that. Um, I, I would love to get, a little bit more than surface level analysis. I would love a more local element. And this is what I think you get with the locked on NFL 
uh, NFL draft live show because when the, you know, when the Vikings make a pick, I am going on and talking about it. I'm a Vikings person, right? You don't just have some random national NFL person who knows how much that person has watched the Vikings. And like when the lions pick, you get a lions person. If I had to talk about the lions, I would definitely not be as well equipped as like Matt Derry is. So give me a little bit more of like a local angle. And I think that would make the draft a lot better. Mono Vikings asks, why do most fans act like we don't need inside linebacker safety and another tight end and continue to bring up cornerback and edge only? Yeah, so this is where I go with like my wants and my needs thing, right? Because you could technically get away without taking a safety, right? Okay, Cameron Bynum's the starter. That's not ideal, but at least he's a guy. He's, he's played a couple games. We like him. And so there's something there's something to cling to there. It's a little risky for my blood. I think safety is a need and not a want. But if you wanted to argue that it's a want, sure. You can get away with not taking wants, but you can also, you can take a want, right? Like they could take Kyle Hamilton and that helps the team quite a bit, even though it's not a cornerback. Um, cornerback and edge are the most dire needs. And so to answer your question, that's why everybody talks about them the most. But in terms of your wants, like another tight end, that's a day two thing. And people just don't talk about day two as much, but a day two tight end, I think is a really good idea for sure. And I think the same thing definitely about a safety Inside linebacker, they need depth at linebacker, but they do have like the kind of principal two guys. Um, I guess they need like another one for like base sets. But um, yeah, I, I don't think that that's necessarily mutually exclusive. I, I don't I think you can kind of talk about all these things as possibilities. And then however the board falls, um, you know, you kind of apply those priorities to the board as it falls but make sure you apply it to the names and not just say, well, I would take a corner over an edge. It was like, well, which corner, right? Peter Larson asks, it isn't controversial to say that what's holding Wongu back from being a solid contributor that at running back is his vision and indecisiveness. How much harder do you think it is to have a good vision in the running back role compared to kick returner? Yeah, okay. So I definitely agree with you that it's a vision issue, right? It's a reading the play and it's making decisions. Um, and just it's a it's a polish thing, right? Because it's like you're supposed to aim yourself at a certain point and there's a discipline to it. And when do you bounce out and that, getting a feel for that takes some time, right? Um, and he we knew he kind of didn't he wasn't going to have that right away coming out of college. It wasn't about that. It was about his speed. Um, and so here's the deal. And I'll, I'll cite Cordero Patterson about this. This is why Cordero Patterson didn't play running back until like last year, seriously, uh, because this is a really hard thing to learn. Kick return. You catch the ball. And you have, we'll count time in steps instead of seconds. Think about how many steps you have until you have to make a decision by a lane. You can run like five, 10 yards and just kind of survey the field and see how lanes are developing and you can really watch it and you get a lot more time to think ahead. In, in a running play, you have like one step and you have to decide, cut and go. And you have to burst and then use that athleticism. And if you hesitate at all, you're screwed. And if you make the wrong decision, you're screwed. But you have to make that decision a lot more hurried, so you have to have it down to a, to a feel. Kick returners can think. And Cordero Patterson talked about that all the time. He said, you know, he didn't even like doing punts because punts are too fast. He likes kick returning because he had to think. And running backs have to feel. Um, he can feel now. It took him years and years and multiple coaching staffs to develop that, Cordero Patterson. And hopefully, Wongu doesn't take as long as Patterson did. Um, but that's the difference. And he's got a, he can think it. And if he can learn to feel it, he becomes an awesome running back. And that's what you draft him in the fourth round for is the chance at, at that kind of ceiling. Um, let's 
talk real quick about Rock Auto and then I'll finish the rest of the questions. Uh, Rock Auto is a website where you can buy car parts. And if you're like a do-it-yourself or a black thumb type, you know, you can get just about any part under the sun. Carburetors or gaskets or just like washers or, you know, supplies, oil and stuff. You can get everything there. If you're not a black thumb, if you're just an average ordinary Joe and you just got to take care of your car, look, mechanics know how much these parts cost and they know you don't know. They're going to upcharge you. And the same kind of goes for those brick and mortar auto shops. They're not taking care of you like Rock Auto will. So head on over to rockauto.com and whatever it is that you buy, let them know in the how you heard about us section that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, the rabbits will never return from their excursion into the Amazon wilderness. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday mailbag, let's take one from Mark, who asks, how do you expect Kevin O'Connell to use Kenne Wongu, to, to put it back? Um, so one thing that's different, I guess, about O'Connell and the offenses that he ran is that he really, really likes the running back in a pass-catching role that's not just, like, screens and, like, flare-outs and, like, flats and stuff. Like, he really liked using them on you know, wheel routes or, or HB seams, angle route, stuff like that actually kind of utilizes the intermediate parts and even deeper parts of the field. So if Wangu can catch, then I don't know if he can catch. I don't know if he can win in contested catch situations. We don't really have any tape on that, so I have no idea if he has that skill set or not. If he did, he becomes a really interesting weapon. If he doesn't, then you can't really use him for that stuff, and he's just RB3, and that's that's all he is. Uh, Skull Leader asks, since you wouldn't have extended Kirk and you would have traded him, how would your offseason have gone if you were at the helm? And when would you have expected the Vikings' next playoff season would have been with your decisions? So my goal would have been playoff season in 2023, and be respectable in 2022, maybe sneak in as a wild card. But my my goal would have been to build something that in 2023 you have, well, you have your rookie quarterback and a prayer of a chance, you know, and you're the like the the Andrew Luck Colts when they made it and they went to a wild card round. They didn't win or anything, but the, they kind of proved they belong there, right? Like a nice, responsible goal, but like also a, a steep climb. You're not waiting for five years to be good, right? Um, so what I would have done is I would have traded Kirk Cousins instead. Let's say there was that one rumored deal with the Browns where it was Baker Mayfield in a couple of seconds. So you've got your bridge quarterback for one year and you got more draft capital. I would have then taken that draft capital and tried to trade some of it into 2023 so that I would have a lot of ammo to move up for one of those quarterbacks, whichever one I decide is the guy. I actually don't really disagree with a lot of the other stuff that the Vikings did. I, signing Zedarius Smith, I would have been all over that. In this world, grab a McVay coach and we're running the McVay off and let's really build for it. Like, that's all great. I think I probably would have rather hired Raheem Morris as coach, but whatever. Still probably committing to the McVay-Shanahan-style offense because, I mean, he's still, like, part of that same clique. Uh, Squatting Turtle asks, if Stingley is available at 8, do you make a move? I probably don't at 8. Maybe at 10 if I felt like I needed to, but at 8, I feel like there's still, all right, if Stingley goes, there's probably still somebody else. But it's not necessarily what, like, at what point. It's, who, who needs to be off the board? If Sauce Gardner's off the board, Hamilton's off the board, um, you know, Garrett Wilson's off the board, all the other guys, you know, if Trevon Walker isn't falling, all the guys, if, if Stingley is the last guy that I would be okay drafting at 12 and he's the one on, only one left on the board at pick eight, I would think about it, but I probably would let that come to me mostly because I have a sneaky suspicion that he's going to be able to because I feel confident enough in him falling to 12 because of the questions around 
his health or his absence, you know, in the COVID year and stuff like that, or did he care in the COVID year? And, and I think, like, I feel okay about his chances to fall. I feel okay taking that risk. I don't think I would have to move up to eight. That would be a pretty expensive thing to do. Um, Skull Hio asks, would Sean Mannion be a USFL starting quarterback? Yeah, I look, there are a couple of guys playing in the X in the USFL that couldn't beat out Sean Mannion for a job in Case Cookus and Kyle Sloter. Uh, so probably like if you put Sean Mannion on the breakers, he starts like, look, we've already seen proof of concept. What if you had a, a camp competition between Kyle Sloter and Sean Mannion? Well, Sean Mannion won it. Rorschach Cousins asks, do you think the Vikings have ever had a top tier jersey or helmet design? I feel like even in their own division, they're third at best. How would you solve this? What? So, nah, buddy. Sorry that they are. If you wanted to say, look, the Packers are disgusting. We all know this. We all agree. The Packers are gross and they make us want to vomit. If you got past that, it's Packers colors and it's bad. That traditional look is classic. And, you know, the, the, the Raiders have the same look. The 49ers have the same look. It's a good look and it works. And if you wanted to say that's better than all of them, I guess I don't agree with you. I think the Vikings have the best look. And even after adjusting for Homer bias, I, the Bears look is horrible. I think their numbers are way too skinny and uh, they just make everybody look smaller and less intimidating. And I think the Lions are just as much of a ca catastrophe in look as they are in substance. Um, so, yeah, I also think like there's a reason the helmet hasn't changed for the entirety of the Vikings. There's a, a reason. I mean, like purple is one of the best colors you can be. And a purple was a great choice. And the the uniform has always been responsible. They've never done anything like what the Bucks did with the with the alarm clock numbers. Um, the Seraphs grew on me. That's about the flashiest thing the Vikings have done. But otherwise, they've been like a classic. The 2000s road uniforms, the all white road uniforms from the, the Carter Moss era are phenomenal. They're old throwbacks phenomenal and i like these jerseys too so yeah no i think they have kind of always had a top tier jersey and helmet design and they're definitely the best in the division um pound sand maurice Smith asks is it too risky going into the season only with bynum and smith at safety yes i don't know if bynum's a starter we've seen like two games of him you do not know how good he is those two games are great and they mean what they mean but they're only two games anointing him with a starting job, just get, bringing him in in camp and saying, you get to be a starter. Congratulations without it doing anything. This camp is really irresponsible. And the depth they have at that position in case of injury is just non-existent. So yeah, it's too risky. Thirsky asks how many Kirk cousins would it take to kill Daniel Hunter? Oh my goodness. Okay. 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 So, uh, we got to establish some rules. So I'm assuming bloodlust, right? Because Kirk cousins is, seems like a very pacifist person. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, and honestly, so would Daniel Hunter. So I'm assuming that we we are bloodlusting both of these people so that they are determined to kill each other and to, to avoid being killed at all costs. Um, I'm assuming, like, how much planning do we have, right? Because one Kirk Cousins, given the proper motivations, could probably find a way to, like, poison Daniel Hunter. But I'm assuming you mean like a, like a no-holds-barred, like, street fight type thing. Uh, can they bring weapons? That kind of thing. If it's just bare hands, probably three. I think three... Kirk Cousins is could kill Daniel Hunter. You could probably talk me into two because a two on one. I mean, look, Kirk Cousins is not a weak person. He's not exactly out of shape <laughs> as, as much as Daniel Hunter is more of a freak. One V one, Daniel Hunter wins that every time. Two V one, you could probably take like five of ten for Kirk and three V one, I think, advantage Kirk. So I'll go with three. Uh, Zachary Hayes asks best breed of dog and why golden retriever. Um, this is objectively wrong. It's Portuguese water dog. I grew up with a Portuguese water dog. His name was Cosmo. He was the best. 
Um, they do not shed. They are incredibly loyal. They're good swimmers. They're very playful. They're very nice. They're very good. Uh, they're cute as hell. Uh, that's the kind of dog the Obama's got, but I was there first y'all. So it's Portuguese water dog. Uh, Tyler, Tyler Linderbaum talk tomorrow. Uh, if all goes well, I'll talk about him and kind of the prospects when I would take him, why, what the point is here. And I think that it it goes into a larger conversation about like what we expect our draft picks to accomplish. So uh, excited for that. I will talk to you tomorrow. Go check out the Locked on NFL draft stuff. Go check out the start of the ultimate mock draft. It's really cool. See you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.